Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Thank you for listening. I pray this message inspires you to live a life engaged in Jesus Christ. Welcome home. Now forgive me if I go too fast, too slow, too anything. This is the first time my parents see me in person preach. They've seen me online countless times, but not in person. So if I stumble, blame them, not me. Um, but for those who don't know me, it's been a while since I've, I've spoke up here. I was the intern last year, and now I'm helping out in the back. But I've kind of graduated to more things. I'm working at HMA as a yearbook teacher. I'm working at the conference as communications department, and here in the tech. So it's been nice being wanted, being, you know, helping out in ministry. And I love being busy. So my name is Miguel, for those who don't know me. Um, and those are my parents. Uh, but we're going to be going over continuing... Um, the pastor's series that he's been going over of Year of the Lord's Favor. But I want to ask a question first. How many of you, I see a lot of you guys, how many of you guys wear glasses or you think you need glasses? All right. Luckily for me, I can see all the way to the back, those raising their hands. How, okay, I want to ask, who has the worst, sorry, who has the strongest prescription? You want to raise your hand? Okay. Now, I would ask you guys what your number is, but I have no idea what that is. You know, I've been kind of, you know, blessed with eyesight, so I don't know what that number is. But there's a chart I have. I don't know if you guys can find that chart on the slides that tells you what the eyesight numbers mean. So I think this is the right one. I found some numbers in reading. So if you can read the top one, you're good. It keeps going all the way down. You guys can see which ones you guys need. So for all you guys squinting, look up above, and that's the one you need. So I have no idea what this means, uh, but I know that I think the higher or the smaller number is, the thicker it is. Now, my brother, I've seen him kind of grow into his glasses. They become thicker and thicker as the years go on. Is that, is that normal? I don't know what that means. Uh, but this is a little graph I wanted to show you guys because today we're talking about sight and seeing. This is a little graph. But I want to tell you a story now about this uncle named Uncle V. Now, Uncle V, sadly, is not on this chart. Uncle V is blind. He's been blind for about 50 years. And um, from early childhood, he, just, he couldn't see. But in his prime young age of 50, amen? Yes. I mean, I'm not 50. I don't know if you guys are. But I think it's prime and young, right? So in his prime age of 50, um, a doctor came up to him and said, Uncle V, I think I'm a neurosurgeon, and I believe I can conduct a surgery to let you see again. Would you, would you let me conduct a surgery on you? And Uncle V has been dreaming about this since he was a baby. For 50 years, for five decades, he's been blind. He's been imagining what things look like, what faces he's, he's hearing. He's like, yeah, of course, I, wanna, I want the surgery. So the neurosurgeon and Uncle V worked together for, for weeks and months, and almost a year later, after the paperwork, after the appointments, finding the right people, the place, the equipment, because you need all the best things. You're about to conduct a life-altering surgery. You're giving sight to a blind person. So after all these things are found out, a year later, Uncle V goes into the surgery. The neurosurgeon has his team of people. They're, ma they're uh, mainly working on his upper body, his neck up, his, his eyes and his head. And they're on the, the operating table for about eight hours. Now, of course, Uncle V is asleep. But eight hours later, the, the, the neurosurgeon and his team finish. Uncle V goes to the bed, to his bed, and wakes up. As the neurosurgeon is there, um, Uncle V puts his hands over his eyes and his bandages. And Uncle V says, uh, what are these for? I thought I could see. And the neurosurgeon says, you know, just wait. Be patient. You know, you're, you had surgery on your eyes. Give it a week. 
go home, rest, and come back. And when you come back, when you open your eyes, you should be able to see. So Uncle V goes home, but this time it's different. For 50 years, he's been opening and closing his eyes, but he hasn't seen anything. But now, he was told that the next time he opens his eyes, he should be able to see. So a week later, he goes back to the, to the hospital. The doctor's there, neurosurgeon. And he's talking. He says, okay, Uncle V, sit down. Let me take off the bandages. So he does. Takes off the bandages, and Uncle V's eyes are still closed. And he's sitting there, and his eyes are still closed. And the doctor says, Uncle V, you can open them. And he, and he, just, he slowly, slowly begins to open them. Now, what Uncle V soon comes to realize is that having the physical capacity to see is not the same as sight. Your brain now knows I can see, but he hasn't seen for 50 years. So what he sees now is, is shapes and colors, but putting them together to, to form a clear picture is hard for him. And the doctor reassures him, you haven't seen for 50 years. It's going to be hard to gain a clear picture. I'm not sure if any of you have hearing aids, but I've heard it works the same way. You hear buzzes and noises, and then eventually your brain clicks and hears sounds. Same thing with your eyes. It eventually gets a clear picture. So the doctor says, come back for physical therapy, and we'll, we'll, we'll show you charts of shapes and colors every week, and you can see how you progress. So he comes in, and the next few months, um, he's going through physical therapy, and the neurosurgeon sees Uncle V struggling. He can now make out you know, shapes and certain colors, but still, they're still kind of fuzzy. He's, he's struggling. And Uncle, Uncle V's kind of getting frustrated. And the doctor wrote this in his notes. He said, sadly, as I'm observing Uncle V, one must die a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. Uncle V has a sight, but his actions and his behavior are still of a blind man. He's so used to it. After years of doing the same thing, you want to touch everything. You want to listen for sounds, and he's not using the sight he's been given. Now watch this. For today, for us, to truly see Jesus, to truly see him, it's more than just hearing what he did and what he said, but it's a physical change. It's an acceptance of identity, your new identity in Jesus. You've been this way for your entire life. Jesus finally gives you sight, gives you a view of who you are and whose you are. That's life-changing. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle to see the same Jesus in the Bible in you? Is that hard? Hard to see? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you for this church being filled, Lord. I ask that you be with those who aren't here. Lord, those who are at home, those who couldn't make it, those who are away traveling. But Lord, I ask that you give us sight. You give us eyes to see. Lord, thank you for giving us this gift. And Lord, you're waiting for us to accept it, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so like I said, today's part three of our series, it is Year of the Lord's Favor. Today, sermon title is I See You. I don't know if it's going to pop up. I See You, the next one, I believe. It's fine. 
Um, but today we've been going over Luke chapter 4, uh, the past two series. Luke 4, verses 18 through about 24. But today I want to focus on two verses. Luke 4, 18 through 19. Luke 4, 18 to 19. It says, Luke 4, 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So for those who have been following along, you know that this is Jesus coming out of the wilderness of temptation, coming into the temple for the first time and reading to the people, his people, his neighbors, his family, his friends, people he grew up with. And right after this, they get mad at him. But we're going to be focusing on this today, Luke 18, Luke 4, 18. If anything you remember for today, we're going to be focusing on this last part, recovery of sight for the blind. I want you to remember three things from today. If anything, remember you want to write them down or just listen to them. There's three things. One of them is living in the Lord's favor is knowing that he sees you. The second thing is living in the Lord's favor is knowing that you can give sight to the blind. And lastly, living in the Lord's favor is knowing that you can live in this new sight. So this, this part of knowing that he can see you, it's kind of, I don't know, hard to grasp. Or maybe it's scary. From When I was growing up, knowing that Jesus sees me everywhere I go, at first it was very scary. I don't know what that meant. I'm like, does he see everything that I do? People are like, yes, he sees everything you do. Ooh. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I couldn't hide from anything. That's how I felt growing up. It was a scary feeling. But then you go to the complete opposite of Jesus sees you everywhere you are, so you're never alone. Right? So where is that middle? Or do I go to one end or do I stay to one end? Right? I want to give you an example of Luke 4. What's happening in this story is at the very beginning, Jesus is being tempted, right? The beginning of chapter 4. He's in the wilderness, and he's being thrown different temptations and truths that Satan is throwing at him. He's he's getting kind of frustrated. Satan's getting frustrated that Jesus is listening to him. He wants him to, to fail, to be tempted. But Jesus, in the end, sees you, and he overcomes. He says, if if I risk anything here today, if I accept any of Satan's lies, this will risk my gospel. What was supposed to happen since I've been here? So he overcomes and he sees you. And then even at this very moment of Luke, the verse we just read, 18 and 19, after he reads that, his very own family, friends, neighbors that saw him grow up from a little baby to the 12-year-old who ran to the temple alone to preach to now the carpenter to then the full-grown man, they're hearing him preach these things and they're getting angry. They get so angry that they bring him to the edge of a cliff wanting to kill him. Now, it says in the verse that Jesus waits until the very end, the very edge of the cliff, to then disappear into the crowd. Because he sees nothing but love for these people. They're pushing him to the edge of a cliff. He has nothing but love for them. And to the very end, he slips in the crowd because he sees you. If I end my ministry here, nothing will happen for those in the future. He sees you sitting in the pews. If I get pushed off this ledge, I can't finish my ministry. So he disappears in the crowd and continues his ministry. Now, some of you might, might think to yourself, Jesus can't possibly see me. I have all these excuses. 
See, last week I was at church, but you don't understand. This week I got an argument with, with my friends and my family got heated. We we're about to throw punches. Jesus can't see me now. Yes, he sees you. No, you don't understand. Last week I was at church, but during this week I fell back into my temptation. I slipped. I messed up. He can't see me. Yeah, he sees you. Or maybe this is your first time back in church. It was a year ago, two years ago, before COVID. It was last time I was in church. I've done so many things. I've built up all these bad things in my life. There's no way he can see me. I've messed up. I've yelled at people. I've gotten into fights, arguments, lost jobs, broken friendships. He cannot see me. Jesus sees you. See, what's interesting is it's only in the splashing of the waves can we see who's drowning. Jesus sees you clearer than ever. You may think, I'm struggling, he can't see me. He sees you. Look to the person to your left and right and say, Jesus sees you. Left and right. Amen. Now somehow, look at yourself. If you want to take a selfie, say, Jesus sees me. Amen. Jesus sees you. There's a story of this family going on vacation. They're getting ready. They're putting the luggage in the car. And they're kind of outside with the car backed up into the, the driveway. And they're putting luggage in the car. And they're getting ready to go on a weekend vacation. Now, they live in a pretty nice neighborhood. And as they're putting their bags away into their car, little do they know, three houses down, there is a thief in the car watching this family pack their bags. He's planning on robbing their house when they leave. The family pulls out, drives away. The thief waits in his car till sundown, waits till it gets dark. He walks over, he knocks on the door, rings the bell, no answer. The coast is clear. He, he pulls out his uh, little pick-locking set. He carefully picks the lock. He opens the door. And he turns around. And he does this thing that people always do in the movies. I don't know if it happens in real life. But he, as he's closing the door, he says, is anyone home? And he closed the door. And there's a response. As he's closing the door, he hears, I see you. And Jesus sees you. And he turns around. And his eyes are still adjusting to how dark it is. So he goes, who's there? And then he, he hears again, I see you, and Jesus sees you. So he fidgets with his pockets, and he, he, he grabs his flashlight to see where the voice is coming from. And he sees his cage, and in the cage is a parrot. And the parrot says, I see you, and Jesus sees you. So he laughs it off. He says, oh my, it's fine, it's just a bird. He turns on the light of the living room to continue his business and stealing things. As he turns back around, underneath the cage is a full-grown Doberman pincher. If you don't know what that is, it's a very big guard dog. They're kind of black and brown with the pointy ears. The parrot then says, attack, Jesus, attack. <laughs> Luckily for us, Jesus sees us even when we don't see him. But it's not that scary for us. Even in the dark, Jesus is still there. I want to talk to you about a story in the Bible where Jesus saw someone so thoroughly, impactfully, I don't know if that's a word, but it made an impact in their life. It's in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Now, let me give you some context. The Samaritan woman, those two words 
are already a double whammy of bad things, a Samaritan and a woman. And of course, with her background, she's about, had about five husbands at this point. Her, her life is full of inequality, insecurity, unfairness. Everything is being thrown at her. Now, Jesus being a Jew, they don't talk to the Samaritans. They're having this feud of which land they're supposed to worship on, which hill is, is blessed, who dug this well. They're kind of going back and forth as a nation, the Jews and Samaritans. Now, Jesus meets the Samaritan at the well. He asks for a drink. The Samaritan gets so kind of upset, she, she kind of starts small talk, like, I don't need to talk to you. You shouldn't be talking to me. It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus responds in nothing but love. But at the end of the conversation, it leaves her so impacted that she runs home to tell people what she heard. I want to read those two verses, John 4, 28 and 30. John 4, 28 and 30. It says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She ends up running back to the town, one woman, to tell them who she saw, to tell them who saw her. Jesus looked past all of her mistakes. He saw her for who she was, for her heart. And she felt so impacted, she went to go tell the entire city. And they came back. Jesus sees you no matter what you've done in your past. This woman had five wives. No matter how many wives, husbands you have, Jesus sees you. This brings us to our next point. You can give sight to the blind. This woman is now guiding people to the Jesus that gave her sight. The Jesus who brought her to this new path she was on. The Jesus that told her, it doesn't matter about you. These, these feuds that are happening have nothing to do with the gospel. The Messiah is here. Now I'm going to say some controversial stuff, but I think some will relate. Who are the youngest siblings in here? Youngest siblings? Amen, amen. How's it like being the favorite son? Amen. Your favorite son and daughter, right? So growing up, the youngest sibling. Wait, how many older siblings do we have? Older siblings, raise your hand. Older siblings, older aunties, uncles, that's fine too. Cousins, the older ones, right? Now, you might not agree with this, but growing up, the second youngest, the youngest, is hard. Amen? Amen. See, the older siblings know. It's, it's, it's hard. Uh, let me tell you why. My, my parents, they kind of know, but they don't know. So the reason why it's so hard is because I had to watch my brother, my older brother, every move he made his mistakes, his good things, him in class. And then also, like, people were like, oh, you're just like your brother. Cool. But I had to watch every mistake or every good thing he made. The reason why is because when I wanted to do those things, I had to learn to do them and not get caught. It was a lot of work. It's a lot of math, a lot of, like, statistics of how do I do this. He got this and got in trouble. How can I do this and not get in trouble? But my favorite thing to do was to do what he did, and when he got in trouble... But I would do them and flip it so that he got in trouble. It was, it was the best thing ever. It was easy. Because he was always getting in trouble, so why not just, oh, <laughs> him. And then, of course, he would get in trouble. And they would probably get, he would get disciplined, and then I would feel safe in my room. And after he's done crying, he would come to my room and beat me up. So eventually, it all came around. 
But it's so hard being the youngest sibling because I had to follow everything he did. Uh, but in reality, he also did everything, the good things that I learned. He was the first person to call people on the phone. I hated calling people on the phone. I, like, as a kid, if you weren't my mom, my dad, my brother, my dogs, give me the phone, I would just give it back. Even my grandparents, I would just say, hi. And then I hold it farther away so my dad and my mom can kind of take over. But he was the one to call people to order pizzas. I couldn't even do that. It's hard calling for, to order food. He was the first person to learn to drive a car. I have this vivid memory. I think my mom asked my, one of our, our family friends during church to have me move their car, to park it somewhere else. So she gave me that task. I got into the car, and as I was moving it, I have no idea what happened, but I remember me being in one spot, and then the next spot, freaking out because I moved it, but I was scared. I don't know how to drive. I couldn't even, I don't have my license yet. I was scared. My brother learned how to drive first, and he, I kind of watched him, what he did, how fast he would go, how safe he was, how aggressive he was, and I would mimic those same things. He was the first person to get a girlfriend and hide it. So I also got a girlfriend and hid it. Now, I don't know, I think it's still popular today, but back when I was younger, I had flip phone, not these iPhones, I don't have my iPhone, but not these iPhones, I had a flip phone. And back then, the best thing to do to show your love and appreciation to this woman in your life is to put them as your wallpaper on your phone. Now, my wallpaper is about this big, super small, right, on my little flip phone. One day, we were driving, my, and my brother would do this too. I would see on his flip phone, you know, the, this girl that he was dating at the time. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that too. So this is a girl that I liked. I put her picture on my wallpaper, and I closed my phone. I think, little did I know that my brother would probably delete that wallpaper whenever turning our phones into my parents. I didn't do that. So one day, my, my dad asked for my phone. We were driving in the car, and I gave it to him, forgetting that I had that wallpaper on. And he opened it, and he's like, who is this? And why is her face on your wallpaper? Uh, she's just a friend. And that was the code for my brother and I, is they're just friends. But we did more. We were, we were, we were together. We were, we were dating or dating at elementary school, right? So my brother did all these things, and I would do the same thing. But he was also the first person to move across the country from our family and go to high school. He was independent for about two years without our family. So he did that, then I followed. So he taught me all these things now, all these things, because of how annoying I was, he didn't tell me to do. All these things, I watched him do. I saw them. Now, for those of you who are older siblings or older un uncles, aunties, cousins, for those who are beneath you, you probably come to realize that they mimic everything you do, right? And not all the time do you tell them, hey, do what I do. They just do it. They kind of pick up your mannerisms, the way you talk, the way you do things. And me, as of today, with 23 years of younger sibling experience, the reason why we do those things or how we do those things is simply by watching you. We watch everything you do. We want to be like you, right? So in this story of the Samaritan woman, this woman has been stared at her entire life because of who she is, what kind of person she was. Now there's a sudden change in her life. She tells everyone who she met, what she does, and people are still watching. So as people watch you for the first time, or people are watching you, what are you showing them? Are you bringing them to the person who gave you sight? 
Are the mannerisms you're doing bringing them to someone who's greater? Right? I want to read this next verse. Uh, John 4, 39 and 40, the end of the story. John 4, 39 and 40. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So we stayed for two days. One woman led others to see. You can give sight to the blind. They may be thinking, oh, we can't do miracles. I'm not talking about that. And first of all, you can. That's a different story. I'm talking about guiding others to things that you've done. And I want to, I first of all, say thank you to Danny and Kaipo for last, last weekend. I watched it online. Powerful, powerful stuff. Sharing their testimonies, where God has led them. Not to highlight the bad things, but to show where God has led them out. God saw them wherever they were and brought them out. If you haven't seen it, it's still online. I, I, I encourage you to watch it. But you may be thinking, I can't do that. I don't have a story to share. Everyone in this room today is a living testimony that God saw you. And he brought you here because he sees you. That is your story. You already being here in this building is enough to tell, to tell someone else, I went to church today. I was awake today. I saw my family and my friends today. I saw my church family today. That is enough. But now, go a little bit deeper. Think about the things you've done when you were younger. Or maybe not even that far. Maybe a few months ago. You were, you were in this, this struggle, in this, this pit of your life, and you could not see a way out. There's no way I'm coming out of this. Maybe you're in that pit right now. See, the cool thing is that we don't have to be exiting or finished with our journey to tell people about Jesus. You can be inside of it as well. See, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm working my way better. Jesus is leading me this way. We don't wait to the very end to say, oh, yeah, come here. While people are behind us, we can guide them along the way. The stories you have are just as impactful as a person next to you. You don't have to use big words, know the meaning in Hebrew of the Bible. You don't need to know these things. Your story is enough. Who you are, what you've been through is enough to give sight to the blind. My biggest testimony that I try sharing as much as I can is God's perfect timing. I've come to realize I have so many stories in my life where my timing is here, and, and I feel like God's way over here. I'm like, Lord, we're here right now. It would be nice if you were to come over here and, you know, come through. And I'm like, my, our, our deadlines are, aren't in sync. And then I realize it's not his with mine, it's mine with his. God's timing is perfect. It's scary, but it's perfect. That's my testimony. So what's yours? Where has God led you in the past? I don't want to tell that part of my story, Miguel. It's, it's too rough. God needs that story. God saw you back then, and he sees you right now. 
So what's stopping you from sharing that story? For me, I'm very stubborn, so whenever people are talking about this in church or, or, or in worship, I have this list in my head, and I feel good because I can come up with excuses of why not to share my story. I relate to Moses, and maybe you do too. I'm going to share you the five excuses that Moses had, and he still led the people of Israel. His five excuses. Number one, I'm not good enough. He still did it. Number two, I don't have all the answers. He still did it. Number three, people won't believe me. He still did it. Number four, I'm a terrible public speaker. He still did it. And number five, I am not qualified. See, the cool thing is that Jesus doesn't pick you for the message. He picks you for the messenger. We can all say the same thing over and over, but he picks you as a messenger. You have a different way to say things. You went through something else that I never went through. Someone next to you never went through. That's why he picks you. You can give sight to those who are blind in the ways that you were in. You have the power to give sight to the blind. So tell your story. I know you may be thinking, like, I have maybe too many stories to share. Maybe I have th this, this rough past in my life and I can't put my words together to it. Or this thing happened to me last week and there's no way I can share that. It's too fresh. It's too new. Tell the story to yourself first. A lot of times we, we, can, we tend to forget where God has guided us in the past because we don't say it out loud. So what's, what's the... What's wrong with telling yourself your own story? Reminding yourself. Last week, I couldn't see myself. It was too rough. The things were too loud. It was, it was too intense work. I lost my job. But I'm here today. Tell your story to yourself. And then you can remind others of where you are today. Finally, my last point is that you can give life with this new sight. Or you can live with this new sight. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I came out of hiding, is that when Christ died for me? Before that. Is it when I hit rock bottom, is that when Christ died for me? Before that. Is it after I, 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 I got together with my family and said my apologies? Is it after I, I regained my trust with my friends? Is that when he died for me? Before that. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
Before you were in the womb, God saw you. For who you are and for whose you are. That doesn't make sense. I just heard him come to church recently. He saw you before that. It doesn't make sense. I, today was my first time you know, saying I love you to Jesus. He saw you before that. Before you were in the womb, he knew you. He knew who you would become, who you would love, who you would leave, and he still chose you. He still chooses you. Maybe you haven't always seen it this way, but today you do. Now you do. I've seen people with various eye surgeries uh, over the years. They go in and get LASIK, or they get monthly contacts, or they get glasses. And maybe it helps them for a few years. After this operation, they can see again. No more stigmatisms in the road at night. But with Jesus... This new sight is forever. This new sight is life changing. You can die as that blind man and be raised again through Jesus and his sight. You said it earlier today. He sees me and he sees you. There's this picture I want to show. Um, I saw it growing up a lot. Um, it's a picture of Jesus at this building. I came to realize currently that this is uh, actually the UN building in New York. I didn't know that. Um, but when I saw it as a kid, and this picture was a business, a workplace, and that Jesus, no matter where I was, was constantly waiting for me to understand who I was, no matter where I was. As a kid, I saw that, that God doesn't give up, not just at my house, not just at my work, school, but everywhere I go. He's waiting for me. He says, I see you, no matter where you are. He sees you. Now, you may be in this church building, but you feel far from God. He sees you. You may be struggling and say, there's no way he can see me. He sees you. You may seem distant, unworthy, unqualified. He still sees you. I want to close with this verse. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, talking about David, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, but the look... But people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. With the Samaritan woman, Jesus looked past everything that she was and who she was, her heart. Jesus looks past everything you've ever done, your past. He'll work on that eventually, but he still sees you. You may think there's a border blocking you. He doesn't see that border. You may have put up walls between you and your family and friends. There's no wall with him. He sees you. No matter how others look at you, no matter how you look at yourself, he still sees you.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time, treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.